Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Welcome to City Reach. If this is your first Sunday with you or with us, I want to extend my warm welcome to you. My name is Timon Benson. I'm the lead pastor here at City Reach Oakton. Um, I want to start by playing a game with you this morning. It's just a really simple game. It's called Name the Opposite, all right? So something's going to come up on the screen. I'll say it, and then I want you to name the opposite. I want you to yell it out, all right? Here, the opposite of tall is? Good, sure. All right. The opposite of hot is? Cold. Good. The opposite of right is? Yeah, wrong. (laughs) Left. (laughs) We can sometimes get these things, they're not so simple. What about this? The opposite of faith. Hmm. We might be tempted to say the opposite of faith is works. Because it is true that, you know, we don't become a Christian by our works. We become a Christian by faith, by trusting in what Jesus has done for us. But actually, in the Bible, the opposite of faith is not works. The opposite of faith is actually unbelief. You see, in the Bible, there is this intrinsic link between your faith and your works. Just turn in your Bibles for a moment to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 18. James says this, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, James says, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, faith and works are linked together. What you believe is demonstrated by how you live. That's pretty challenging, really. It's really challenging. Because what that means is regardless of what you say, If I wanted to find out what you believed, all I'd need to do is just follow you around this week and observe the way you lived. If I wanted to really see what you truly believed, all I need to do is just follow you around and observe your life because your life right now is demonstrating what you actually believe in your heart. You see, there is this link between what you believe and how you live. And so the big point of my lesson this morning is this. If you want to change, you need to dig down deep into what you believe because what you believe will affect the way that you live. Now, on Sunday mornings, we are doing a series called Resolve where we're looking at how we can make resolutions and seek to change. And, you know, I've really wanted this series not to be a series where we tick off a whole heap of theory and we go, yes, I agree with the theory, I agree with the theory. I also didn't want it to be like a pep rally where we all sort of get really excited about change and there's a a lot of heat, but there is no light. I really wanted this series to set us up this year for a life of change. And so last week, I, I showed you this model of change after studying the scriptures I showed you this model of change that I came up with. So change, I think, begins with the work of God's Spirit. You can't really change unless God's Spirit works in you. And we looked at last week how there is this this predictable pattern that we can fall into, where we depart and we fall away from the living God, and we need the Holy Spirit to come 
And through the instrument of the Word, He shows us our need and He shows us God's grace. But then in order to change, we don't just need a work of God's Spirit, we need to respond in faith to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through the Word. And then we need to exercise discipline. We need to exercise spiritual disciplines which strengthen our faith, that strengthen us so that we can continue to change. And all the while, we're living lives in community, in gospel-shaped community. You see, community is where we'll hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to us often. It's in community that our faith is strengthened. It's in community where we are kept accountable for our spiritual disciplines. Now, Lou, last week, after the service, he had some really great corrections to my diagram. So ask him about it. I thought it was fantastic stuff. He was really listening and engaging. And if you have some corrections, just bring them to me as well. But one of the things that Lou pointed out as an engineer, if you have an equation, with an equation, you always need an equal sign at the end, all right? So the spirit plus faith plus discipline and community equals true change. True change. True change will occur in your life this year as the Holy Spirit moves through the Word and renews you and brings you to this point of seeing your need and turning in repentance to God. But you need to respond in faith, walk the pathway of discipline, living in community. And last week we said the reason that we don't change is because often our resolutions are just, they just originated in our flesh. I want to lose weight this year, you know, but it's just because I want to look good. You know, and rather than supplying faith, we actually just supply the power of our will. And rather than being disciplined, we're lazy. And rather than living in community, we live in isolation. We can come to church, we can come to small group, but we don't actually take off the mask and allow people to see who we really are and keep us accountable and speak into our lives. And if that's the case, then what happens is no change, no change, no change. And oftentimes that's why Every single year, we can go year after year after year, and there is no change because it was just in the flesh. It wasn't birthed in the spirit. We're just in the power of our will. We've been lazy, and we live in lives of isolation. So every week, we're looking at one of these things. Last week, if you weren't here, you can go back and watch it on Facebook. We, we looked at the spirit and how the spirit renews us through the word. Today, we're going to look at faith. Next week, Pastor Graham's going to look at discipline. And in the final week, we will look at... Uh, community. And I did have something to rub out that because I need to rub that off now. So let me just see. Oh yeah, I've got a little tissue here. That will help me. All right. Now, what I'm doing in this series is I'm actually drawing you diagrams. Who here likes a good diagram? All right. I like a good diagram because it helps me see relationships. It helps my understanding. Now, I know from last week that many of you said you couldn't read the whiteboard, you know, from where you're sitting. And I would say to you, there's plenty of seats up the front with me. <laughs> plenty of seats. But I think I pushed my luck last week in telling you not to come late. So <laughs> I won't push my luck any further. All right. <laughs> but uh, so we're going to be looking at these diagrams and the diagrams are actually going to come up on the board. All right. They're going to come up on the board. And so you'll hopefully be able to see them because they'll be up on the screen. But what we're looking at now is remember the big idea of this message. The big idea is that if you want to change, you need to dig down deep into what you believe because what you believe will affect the way that you live. And so now I want to share with you a diagram, I think, that shows us how faith relates 
to your everyday life, all right? And this is a diagram from CCEF, the Christian Counseling Education Foundation. They are the counseling, um, they, they're the, that's, their model of counseling is the model that we use at our church and all of our counselors are trained in their model. So let me first start. The model starts with this. This is like a tree, all right? Pretty bad tree, all right? Here's the branches up the top. I didn't say I was an artist, okay? But that's the tree. And down below, there are roots, all right? And then above the surface, you have your behavior, all right? And we can actually observe your behavior. We can see your behavior. But below the surface, there is your heart. There are things going on there that we can't see. Things, thoughts, the intentions of your heart. All right, everyone this week you encountered various situations and circumstances. You encountered various things. The heat was turned up in your life. And that heat, those situations, those circumstances beat down on the tree of your life and you made some type of response to that heat, that situation, that circumstance. Let me share one that might be familiar to, to you. It's very familiar to me. So, you know, it's holidays and we're on holidays and the kids are at home, and so just say you're at home and you, 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 you've been working all day, working really, really hard, and then you decide, I just need to take a seat, just have some rest, you know, and take a load off and just watch, watch the tennis for a moment. And so you just sit down in the living room, you switch on the television, you're about to watch the tennis, when all of a sudden, World War III breaks out in the next room. Your kids are having this huge fight over the remote control. One wants to watch a Disney movie. The other wants to watch something on ABC. Why ABC? I don't know. But they do. They want to watch something on ABC. And so you are just infuriated. How dare they get in the way of my rest and my relaxation? So you get up off the couch. You storm into the room and you respond with anger. You tell the kids off. How dare you say that? How dare you, you do this? And I'm trying to rest and you kids are, are raising a racket. And so in your anger, you tell them off, you send them to their rooms and then you go back and sit down and you feel quite justified in your anger. I mean, how dare these kids get in the way of your rest and your relaxation? But once your anger sort of cools off, you then start to realise that you've actually now reaping some bad fruit. Your kids are upstairs in their room crying over what you've said to them. You're feeling in your heart guilt and shame because of the anger that you've displayed. And you start to feel, well, how could I have done that? How could I have responded that way? Now, this is happening in your lives. This happened this week in some of your lives and some of you know exactly what I mean. This happened. This exact thing happened in your life this week. Now, what many people think is the way to change is just what we need to do is we need to get rid of the heat. If we get rid of the situation and circumstance, then our lives will be perfect. Maybe if we buy multiple televisions, our kids will never have to worry about what to watch. They'll be happy and if they're happy, then I'll be happy. Or sometimes we think maybe I could just deal with my behaviour, put some sort of law over my behaviour that will deal with my anger. But that never works. 
You see, the only way to truly change is actually not to examine what's above the surface, but to examine what's below the surface. You see, there is a fruit, root connection to your behaviour. The reason that you respond that way and reap bad fruit is because of the roots that are deeper in your life. Now, here's the good news, class. Here's the really good news. Is Jesus doesn't just reign and rule in this room. Jesus reigns and rules over every part of your life. Everything is under his feet. All of the mundane moments, all of the situations that you face and I face are under the feet of Jesus. And God actually uses the heat, the situations and circumstances in our life because he loves us that much that he wants to reveal what's truly going on in our hearts. He wants to reveal what is happening below the surface. In particular, below the surface, there are desires or what we worship. See, the reason you choose to do the things you do is because it flows out of the desires of your heart, what your heart longs for, what your heart loves, what your heart worships is why you choose to do the things that you do. Uh, this writer, Tim Chester, he writes this. He says, you always do what you want to do. You always do what you want to do. Now, you might say, Timon, we were here last week and we were studying Romans 7 last week. And in Romans 7, the Romans 7 man is a pretty conflicted person. He says, I don't understand what I'm doing. The very things I want to do, I do not do. And the very things that I don't want to do, I hate doing. These I keep doing. Wretched man that I am. Now, it is true that as a Christian, you now have disordered desires. The Holy Spirit is working in you, leading you to God. And you have the flesh which fighting against that. So you have a deep, a deep struggle within you if you're a Christian now. But still, in the moment you choose to do something, in that moment, you are doing what you want to do. You are following the desires of your heart. You're following what your heart treasures, what your heart worships. Something has been elevated and is now controlling your heart. And whatever controls your heart will exert an irresistible influence on your life. But deeper than this, deeper than your desires, deeper than what you worship, is what you believe and what you think. Now, this is like, this, this you got to listen here. Because this is like amazing stuff, all right? I didn't make it up, it's Bible. All right. So, this is amazing stuff. What you believe and how you think will determine what you desire or worship, which will determine what you do. This, powerful. What you believe and how you think will determine what you desire and what you worship, which will determine what you do. That is why, as I said right at the very beginning, if you want to change, you need to dig down deep into what you believe because what you believe will affect the way that you live. All right, let's see how this works out biblically. So turn to Genesis chapter 3, okay? Genesis chapter 3 and the very first sin, the very original sin Genesis is a book of beginnings. We have the beginning of the world, the beginning of humankind, and we also have the beginning of sin. 
Let me just... Let me just get you up to speed with the story. God has created a perfect good world. He's created humanity in his image. He's placed the man and the woman in a garden of delights. He's performed the first wedding ceremony. And then we read this in Genesis 3 verse 1. Look down in your Bibles. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent here is Satan. Satan comes in the form of a serpent. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, what is Satan trying to get Eve to do right here? I would say to you that what he is trying to do is he's trying to distort Eve's understanding of God. You see, back in chapter 2, God had said to Adam, who passed it on to Eve in verse 16, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You see, God is a good and generous God. And He said to the the man and the woman, He said, you can eat of every tree in the garden. You're free to eat of every tree in the garden, but I want you to love me and I want you to show your love for me and your faith in me by not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to distort the woman's understanding of God. Did God really say that you're not to eat of every tree in the garden? Well, God had said he could, they could eat of every tree. See, God is good and generous. You know, sin always begins with a movement away in your understanding what you believe about God, God Himself. What you believe about the character of God. And maybe God is not as good and as generous as He reveals Himself to be. Now, notice the woman, this strategy of of trying to distort the woman's perspective of who God is, is starting to work. Look down in verse two. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the true fruit of, fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, why do I say that his strategy is starting to work? She's starting to move away. Well, she does answer correctly to the serpent, but she adds to God's word. She says, we're not even allowed to touch it lest we die. Now notice, God said nothing about touching the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve, they could have climbed the tree. They could have built a swing in the tree. They could have carved their name, initials into the tree. Adam for Eve forever. (laughs) God had said nothing about touching the tree. But I think what we are seeing in her response is the deception of the enemy is starting to work. In her thinking, she is starting to move away from God being good and generous, a God who has created all things for us so that we can glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Let me tell you, the birthplace of all your problems is actually your perspective of God. That's, that's, that's where it all begins. The birthplace of all of your problems with God's law is actually an understanding of who God is. 
You've been distorted away from thinking that he is good and generous. And therefore, if he says to me, don't eat of that tree, and he must know better than I know. Now then, the serpent flat out lies to them. Look at what he says. Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he flat out lies. He lies firstly about sin. There's not gonna be any consequences. You're not gonna die. Next, he lies about God. God knows that when you eat of it, you will be like God. God is holding out on you. He's not good and generous. He can't be trusted. He's holding out blessing and joy from you. And he lies about them. And the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. You can be your own God. Do you know, this right here, these lies about sin, about God, about them, this darkness <laughs> that Satan brought into the world is the darkness that's over the hearts and minds of the people in our city this very day. This is the darkness that's over their hearts where they think that sin has no consequence, that God is not really good and generous. But if you were to become a Christian, if you were to serve God with your life, then somehow that wouldn't be good. That would lead to unhappiness rather than true fulfillment and joy. And the lie that Satan has trapped many people in is that the kingdom of self and living for self is way better than the kingdom of God. Just uh, this... Uh, Last couple of days, I just watched this uh, documentary of Avicii. I don't know if you've heard of Avicii before. Who here has heard of Avicii? Wake me up before it's all over. Very talented young man, gifted musician. But such a sad story of a person who could never find peace in this world, even though he made it to the very top in the music industry. Just tormented in his soul, tormented in his spirit. And this is the darkness that's over people's thinking. Now notice what happens next. Notice what happens next. This is amazing. Look at what happens in verse six. She's bought the lie. Her belief about God has changed. And so verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband and he ate. Because her thinking has become distorted, her beliefs have become distorted, her desires are now distorted. Now she wants pleasure, the lust of of the flesh, the desire for food. She wants to possess it, the lust of the eyes. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes, I've got to have it. And then she saw that it was desired to make one wise. Power, the pride of life. The Apostle John says in 1 John 3 verses 15 to 17, he says, do not love the world nor anything in the world for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for everything in the world. And look at what he says. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life does not come from the Father, but from the world. A distorted view of God will lead to a distorted heart with distorted desires, a heart that worships idols, a heart that worships pleasure, that worships 
possession or control, a heart that worships power. And because of that, she takes some fruit, she eats, she breaks God's commandment, and that leads to bad fruit in her life. She realizes she is naked. They sew fig leaves together to cover the guilt and their shame. God comes walking in the cool of the evening and they are hiding from him. And then the whole world is cursed. You see, what you believe and what you think will lead to desires in your worship and what you worship will then result in what you do. So let's have a look at that example that I gave right at the very beginning. In the, I'm, in, I'm in my room and I'm sitting down to watch the tennis and what I believe is I need rest. I need res- re- relaxation. If I don't have rest and I don't have relaxation, I, I won't be happy in my life. And then that leads to worshipping pleasure and comfort above all other things. And since my kids are getting in the way of what I want, of what I'm worshipping, pleasure and comfort, that's why I respond with anger and that's what leads to the bad fruit. So this is happening in your life all the time. But how do you change? Remember the big idea. If you really want to change, you need to dig down deep into what you believe because what you believe will affect the way that you live. So let me give you some application. Point number one, you need to admit that you struggle. If you really want to change, you need to stop seeing the problem as just being the heat in your life. This is so hard. This is so, so hard because we are so blinded. We truly think that the problem is out there. It's not in here. People come for marriage counselling and we ask them, what's the problem? The problem, she's the problem. He's the problem. They don't own their own heart and their own responses. You're never going to change unless you admit that you struggle. I know they have problems, but you need to own how you're responding. You need to own what you worship and what you're believing. Number two, you need to surface the lie. Now, when you come to the cross, you not only confess your sinful responses and you not only seek to confess to the people you've hurt, but you also want to confess what's below the surface. What have you worshipped other than God? And what are the lies that you have been believing? How do you surface the lie? How do you surface the lies that we believe? The Word of God, it says in Hebrews 3, is sharper than any, Hebrews 4, is sharper than any two-edged sword Piercing, it says, the thoughts and intentions or desires of the heart. God's word is what, what, what helps us surface the lies. And finally, you need to replace the lie with God's truth. Replace the lie with God's truth. Now, fortunately, we have a perfect example of this in the Scriptures. Now go in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is the parallel passage for Genesis chapter 3. Because in Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve falling or sinning in the garden. But in Matthew 4, we see Jesus overcoming in the wilderness. And let's see how he overcame the temptation that he faced in the wilderness. Matthew 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The heat was turned up. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, I go without one meal and I'm starving. I feel like I'm dying. Jesus has gone without, fa- without food for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, we are calling the church to 21 days of prayer and fasting from tomorrow right through for three weeks through January. And the reason we're doing that is because when you pray and when you fast and you seek God, you can expect God's blessing. It's interesting that in Luke chapter four, look this up afterwards, in Luke chapter four, after Jesus emerges from the wilderness and this time of prayer and fasting, it says he came and he returned in the power of the Spirit. We want true spiritual power in our church, don't we? We want true spiritual power in our church, don't we? We want God to change things in our nation. We want this darkness to be pushed back. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're going to seek God and fast and pray and ask God to draw close to us. Tomorrow night, 7 7 p.m. here, we're going to have our first prayer meeting, three prayer meetings over these next three weeks on Monday night. We'd love you to be there. But then it says in verse three, and the tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread, the lust of the flesh. He comes to him and says, God cannot be trusted with your physical needs, Jesus. Use your power to provide for your physical needs. And what does Jesus say? Verse four, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I can trust God with my physical needs and my life. I live by his word. Number two, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. I think the lie that the enemy was seeking to say to Jesus there was, Jesus, you can't trust God with your reputation. So he takes him to the very pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down and force God to have his angels come and save you. God cannot be trusted with your reputation, Jesus. You've lived for 30 years in obscurity. Force God to to demonstrate that you are the son of God. And what does Jesus respond by saying? He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I will not test God like that. I will trust his will for my life. I will trust him with my reputation. But I love this last one. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him, notice that word, showed him all the kingdoms of this world. What is that? The lust of the eyes. You can have all this, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me. You don't need to go to the cross. You can have the kingdoms of this world without the cross. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. At every single point when Satan came, Jesus surfaced the lie and replaced it with God's truth. This is how you do spiritual warfare in your life. You surface the lie and you replace it with God's truth. Now, as I said before, everyone, 
as I said before, really, what's really behind all of our desires of what we worship is really our understanding of God. We, we move off track when we no longer see God as being good and generous, as being the good and generous God that He is. So how do we become convinced? How do we truly change our theology? How do you truly change your theology, your thinking? You know, we all know that there's a difference between functional theology and confessional theology. Many of you, if I gave you a quiz today, you'd be able to answer correctly a quiz of theology. But how do you change your functional theology, what you really believe? Let me tell you, it's not through um, cognitive behavioural therapy. It's not through you just saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I think I now believe. <laughs> it's not through that that you actually change what you truly believe in your heart. Now, let me, let me show you something so powerful, so powerful. Turn to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 again. This is just phenomenal. And verse 6, it says, And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she turned to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she was captivated by it. In her heart, she was captivated by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, captivated by its glory, captivated by the pleasure it would give her, what she, the possession that she would have of it, the power that it would give her. She was captivated by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you want to be truly transformed, you need to turn your gaze to another tree. Not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but this other tree where the King of glory died for you and shed His blood. And when you turn in your heart and you're captivated by what the King of glory did for you, then you'll be convinced that He truly is good, that He's truly generous, that He truly has your best interest in mind. See, faith comes by gazing on the beauty of Jesus through the eyes of faith so that your heart is changed to love Him and worship Him and honour Him so that when the heat is turned up and your kids are fighting in the other room, you don't respond with anger, but you see that moment as a brilliant moment. Thank you, Jesus, for that moment. That's a moment when I can be an ambassador of the truth, an ambassador of love and, and help my kids to understand what you are like and lead them to you. And that is transformation. It's not just behaviour management. It's not just changing the heat. It's having a heart that is being transformed to love God degree by degree by degree by degree by degree, to love Him more and more and more and more. So that as Paul says, when it comes to the end of your life, you will be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Because I've lived my whole life enjoying you, God. 
You are my chief good. You are the one I love. So when I die and leave this earth behind and I come into your gracious presence and my soul is purified going into your presence and my body still in union with Christ goes into the grave awaiting the resurrection, it is gain for me. Because heaven is going to be so good not because it's eternal, not because you've got mansions of gold. Forget about the gold mansions. Heaven is going to be good because that Jesus who died for me is going to be there and my faith will be made sight and I will love him and enjoy him and worship him for all eternity. That is true Christianity. That is true change. Now I look at you guys and I think there's whole heaps of people here and there's heaps of heat in your life right now, and it's beating down. Would you please, please examine the bad fruit in your life and recognize that that bad fruit is, a, is because of your response, but it's actually deeper. It's because of a disordered heart, and it's what you think about God. And maybe there's some people in this room for the very first time, you need to come to God and you need to confess Jesus is Lord and Saviour of your life. He loves you. He laid down His life for you because He wants you to know God and enjoy God forever. And all of that fruit that you've been experiencing in your life, He can forgive you and He can help you to deal with it. He may not take it away straight away, but He'll use it to change your heart, to love him, and he is the greatest treasure. Let me pray, hey, let's pray. Let's pray, church. Oh, Father, I feel the, the Spirit has been speaking to us through the word this morning. And you don't just want this moment to be a moment of worship, but you want this time of gathering of your people to refresh us so that we will worship you this week in the various situations and circumstances that we face. There are people struggling with all different things. There are marriage struggles in this room this morning. There are health struggles. There are also people who are actually struggling how to be faithful given all the blessing that they have. That can be a struggle as well. Lord, I just pray that in this moment we would gaze not on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and take its forbidden fruit, <laughs> but we would gaze upon Jesus' cross where our Saviour went there and died there for you, for us, so that we would know you, Father. Convince us that you are really good, that you're really generous. Lord, so that we will live for you from the heart. We love you. Let's stand together now. We're going to sing a song called Shepherd. And Jesus is your shepherd. He wants to lead you and guide you.